Welcome to Shattered, the podcast. This is the podcast where we discuss mental illness. It's by a sufferer, for sufferers, and for the people that are looking to understand what it's like to live with mental illness. G'day and welcome to Shattered, the podcast. The podcast is working this time. This is our second try to try and make this happen. I want to thank Heidi Prouse for coming on the show today. G'day, Heidi. How are you today? I'm fantastic, Mark. Thanks so much for having me. I want to, first of all, just commend you in the Canberra community. You're well known as a community leader. Uh, Your bio says that you're a change maker, community leader and carer. But what we want to talk about today is the fact that you are the CEO of an organisation called MIAC. Yes, I am the CEO of MIAC. I've been with MIAC for about three and a half years. Uh, but the organisation has a significant history over 25 years of supporting the Canberra community, building education and awareness of mental illness, of mental health and of our overall well-being. So we, we basically support our secondary students or high school students um, through to people in the community and those in workplaces to better understand what mental health is um, and to be able to seek help early. The interesting thing about Me Act is it's in the name. You think of most mental health support places as being called mental health or something along that lines, but it seems like that you're looking to specifically educate people about what it's like to live with a mental illness. Am I correct in thinking that? Yeah, so one of the very unique things that MIAC do is we partner evidence-based information and and research on mental illness uh, with powerful lived experience stories. And those experiences are generally um, aligned to an experience of a mental illness um, from anxiety-based or stress disorders through to Um, complex mental illness such as schizophrenia, bipolar disorder and and many others. So our role is to make those types of what have been scary words Mm. uh, more real, something that we can better understand through hearing someone's story. We all know that stories are so powerful, but they really allow us to better understand and empathise someone who may have that experience, yeah. but it also may allow us to identify some of those experiences in ourselves, and that's the real power of, of storytelling. Yeah. In your bio, it says that you're a carer. Is that part of why you do what you do? I think I ended up being a carer, but I probably have always been someone who was going to work in the community space, yep. and I did kind of fall into it. I I've always volunteered since I can even remember and and my family have always volunteered in the community. So I've always, I guess, grown up with a give back kind of uh, space around me. But I don't think I necessarily expected when I started to look for work that this was something that I could actually do every day. So I was given some advice when I finished uni just to apply for everything. And so I put my resume out on every single thing that I could find. And I ended up getting a job with Camp Quality that are a children's cancer charity. 
And I started that job at 20 and I just moved through the not-for-profit and community space because it's something that I'm so passionate about. It's something that gets me out of bed in the morning. And uh, I met my husband when I came on a secondment to Canberra for work and I thought I was coming for for nine months and that was now (laughs) 10 years ago. But he he told me that he was living with cystic fibrosis and Mm. it's a degenerative lung condition. And, you know, at that point I'd already planned out our whole future, our whole lives and, you know, that we were going to grow old together. But it was something that um, I learnt that that wasn't going to be the case in, in living with something that does have a short life expectancy. So I guess, you know, for me, I then, you know, jumped into being a carer. It wasn't necessarily something that I was phased by. Um, I feel very lucky and very grateful to have um, this incredible, in my unbiased opinion, man in my (laughs) life for as long as as possible. And, you know, it's just just another thing that that I do. But the community and, you know, Canberra and, and, you know, no matter what people are experiencing, it's something that I want to give back to society and and support people. And I just love that that can also be a part of my job. Yeah. One of the things that MIAC does, which I love, is they also talk about carer experiences and they do support carers by sharing carer stories, uh, which is one of those hidden sides of the whole spectrum of mental illness. It was certainly really unexpected for me because I, you know, initially I care for someone with a physical illness. And so doing that, I felt really equipped. You know, there's there's kind of checks and balances. There's very specific changes. There's numbers I can see. And when they adjust, I know how to respond. And I, um, throughout our journey, became a carer of someone who was living with a mental illness and I really even though I was in this role kind of didn't expect that yeah I I didn't necessarily see it I gave it different names um and I think there was this really sort of different focus because we were so focused on the physical side of things and I'm actually so grateful to have been in the role that I have been with me and have heard our carer stories because it's actually really helped me to better understand my role, to better respond to the experiences that I have myself, but also to, to take care of my own well-being um, on that journey. And yeah. that's not something that I ever sort of prioritized. So, you know, I think there's a lot of power in hearing the lived experience of a person who is living with mental illness. But I've got to do a shout out to our carers because it wasn't until my husband experienced mental illness that I really felt ill-equipped and I really had to reconsider the way that I was approaching my carer role to support um, him and his journey as well. Yeah. It's only recently that I've become a carer. I was a person living with a mental illness, uh, but two of my children now uh, have displayed kind of extreme mental illness symptoms. And moving into that carer role has made me realize how precious my wife is and how difficult it is to be a carer. Now, I'm loving direction that the conversation's taking, and I want to turn it just a little bit. I was going to ask you about how big a problem that mental illness is, and I think we can just state that it's massive and it affects everyone. 
But in this space, we're living in an age where everybody's equal and we're all the same and nobody's different and we accept everyone. Surely stigma isn't a problem for people with mental illness anymore. See, it's, it's really interesting, the stigma conversation and I guess where things are going. So certainly we can acknowledge there is more conversations about mental health in general. The approach to care of people living with mental illness is come, you know, miles yeah. in terms of um, participation and actually care for people you know, not abuse, which is historically the response. But there's a couple of things that are still kind of sitting in the space. And and I think the first one is self-stigma has become more significant. So there's probably a greater acceptance of supporting our friend or helping our friend if they're experiencing mental health concerns. But when the kind of lens turns back to ourselves, that actually is something that you have to overcome as a part of your own experience. So what we are noticing is self-stigma is still very significant and is still something that is a barrier. The other thing that we're noticing as an organization that really talks openly about mental illness is the conversation has certainly changed in terms of anxiety and depression experiences. But we're really still not getting into the space of, you know, bipolar disorder, schizophrenia and more complex sort of illnesses that we still don't really have a lot of community understanding about. So there are still some, I guess, complex layers um, and it still sort of comes down to maybe we've built better acceptance, but I don't think that stigma has gone and I think that acceptance is still probably in sort of, I'm happy if it's over there, but if it's sort of facing me directly or if I've got to, you know, manage somebody or support somebody who has that lived experience, you know, where does that stigma sort of sit? So there's obviously still a lot of, um, you know, great work that we need to do to start to really build skills, competencies and and just normality of of the way people are experiencing um, their own experience. Yeah. No, I get you because a lot of people, you'll say you've got PTSD. People are like, oh, okay, I get it. Uh, but as you said, as soon as you start getting into the complex mental illnesses, and all mental illness is complex. I'm not trying to denigrate any particular set of letters there. But when you start talking bipolar disorder, I didn't realize how much stigma was against a person that had bipolar disorder until I sat in one of the MEACT sessions and was just blown away at the story of of the woman telling me about her experience of watching how she's portrayed in our society. Yeah, and I think you can also see how some illnesses have actually become a bit colloquial, a bit funny. So I use OCD as a perfect example that Mm -hmm. if you actually learn about um, obsessive compulsive disorder. It is a really complex and a really challenging illness. And it is so diminished in um, the way that we share, you know, I've got a neat desk, so I must be OCD. And that really um, removes the, the real challenges that a person who's living with obsessive compulsive disorder experiences. And what I'd really say is, 
it's completely okay if you like, if you have a preference that things in your life are neat and tidy. But, you know, let's make sure that we're not diminishing um, a person who is living with obsessive compulsive disorder um, because they have a compulsion to ensure certain things in their life happen in a certain way. So, you know, I think that's where we're sort of seeing some of these conversations are going, but they can actually create stigma, you know, about, you know, different types of illnesses and experiences. Mm, That's amazing. I hadn't actually thought about that with OCD, but you're completely right. I just want to move through to MIAC's place in this spectrum because I understand that MIACT is unique pretty much in Australia, but possibly even the world in many ways. Yeah, so we designed a framework called Do No Harm uh, around 10 years ago, which is obviously we want there to be conversations about mental health. And we want people to be able to share their experiences to, as I've said, you know, be able to kind of shine a light um, on that experience because we can learn so much from storytelling. Mm. But what we have done very uniquely is actually created a space that allows us to have those conversations safely. And the framework sort of guides the way that we can craft our story so that it's safe for the audience that we're sharing with because we don't want to cause distress Mm. to the listener. We want them to be able to hear the whole message. We want them to be able to learn the entire time. And when we cause them any distress by sharing parts of our story that, you know, might be really difficult, then that actually means that the person's brain protects itself and it switches off. So what we need to do is craft a story that's safe for the listener. But what is absolutely unique about MEACT is we also put practices in place that ensure that the storytelling is safe for the person who's sharing their own experiences. And we have volunteers that have been with us for, you know, 15 years and still been able to go into schools every week and and share their story. So that's just a realistic testimony to the way that we work and the way that we set up a safe space for people to listen to and share their stories because that person doesn't need to relive the experience to still have a really powerful message. And some of the things that we focus on are what were the strategies that we put in place? What was the hope focus that we were trying to achieve? Because we don't want someone to be left in the darkness. What we want them to be left in is the hope that there is life. It just is about working out how to get there. And sometimes that isn't a simple step, um, one, two step. You know, there's a few things that we need to do, but we can get there. Yeah. And that's what we want to leave the, the room with. So that's something that uh, MEACT have created. It was led by people with lived experience. And then once again, as, as we always do, really backed um, with a strong evidence base to prove it as an an internationally leading way that we approach the way that we educate people on mental health. Yeah. Now, you mentioned earlier that you go into schools and workplaces. If people are looking for information about how to connect with MEACT, uh, perhaps they're a person that has a lived, lived experience and would like to share their story, or perhaps there's somebody out there that's an employer or is in a position 
to be able to invite MEACT to come into their school or workplace, how can people connect with you? Yes, yeah, so the best place to start is our website, which is mieact.org.au. On there, you can see all of our programs that we offer for young people, for community groups and for workplaces. Uh, we can also customise our programs to meet very specific needs if there are um, sort of particular learnings that people are looking to achieve through their um, exposure. And then the other thing is um, certainly jumping onto our social media, so Facebook, LinkedIn and Instagram. And we also have a number of our stories as videos on our YouTube channel. So that's a really great way if you're sort of wanting to learn more yourself and, and you might not be, you know, in, in Canberra's back door, <laughs> <laughs> then you can, um, you know, jump onto our um, YouTube and, and have a listen to some of the stories that are people living with very different um, types of experiences and different lives that they've sort of led while, while they've lived with those different types of experiences. Yeah. The resources that you have on the website uh, are extraordinary. I've just been so impressed as I've been going through them. You know, I guess at the moment, one of the things is, is there really isn't, I guess, a limitation in, in accessing the ACT programs, no matter where you sort of are. On the website, there's a specific resources page that has um, helpful strategies for some specific groups but we also have sort of general. So a lot of the help-seeking stuff is really aligned to the local community base, right. but the content in them, in terms of strategies like stop strategies and, and different things that you can put in place, they're obviously universal and, and something anyone in the world would certainly be able to um, activate. So it's still worth sort of getting in touch with us while we're sort of living in a different kind of world where we're not necessarily doing as much face-to-face program delivery, but we are offering online programs. So certainly encouraging people, no matter where they are, to, to get in touch and, and talk to us about some programs and, and supporting you know young people to be able to, to learn as well. Heidi, it's been an absolute delight chatting to you today. I just wanted to leave our listeners by asking you one more question. What kind of advice would you have for somebody that has experienced stigma? I think the the most important thing is that stigma stops us from seeking help early. So one of the things is trying to identify where a trusted space to go can be. And that can be uh, a friend uh, or a family member um, or that could be a sort of professional um, that can allow you to have a safe space for you to discuss your experience and any mental health concerns that you might be going through. It's really difficult to say, try and, you know, try and think about it differently because stigma is such a powerful thing. So... What I think is really important is trying to identify who that trusted person is that can be the one that helps you get help when you need it. The other thing is, is do listen to stories. Know that there is hope. Know that there is something that will work for you. It's really just the the journey of identifying what that thing is because that thing is as unique as you are. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, know that you're... Uh, an incredible person and you have a lot to offer and so identifying who your trusted person can be is really important to try and make that step a little bit smaller than than what it feels like and just don't forget 
that there is hope, there is something that will work. I want to thank Heidi Prowse, CEO of MEACT. If you would like to get any information about MEACT, it's just M-I-E-A-C-T.org.au. We're going to put all the links with all of our posts so you won't have any trouble finding them. Heidi, thank you so much today, mate. I really appreciate how generous you've been with your time today. Thank you. Of course. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Shattered, the podcast. I'd like to thank our producer, Meredith Brosnan, our executive producer, Torian Lau, and the band Adelaide for allowing us to use their song as our theme. Go to shatteredthepodcast.com for more information. i